This is The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. David is the senior pastor of Calvary Chapel Casa Grande in Casa Grande, Arizona. Potter is forming this pot and all of a sudden something goes wrong with it. The potter doesn't take that form, then set it off to the side and get a new one. No. You know what he does? He does the same thing that's happened in your lives, possibly. He slams it back down again and begins to rework it and rework it and rework it again. Oh, but I was almost finished. No, you weren't. You, you, you were marred and you would never be all that I intended you to be. And so I've got to bring you back down, reform and refashion, remold you again. Join us as Pastor David continues to teach us about God's sovereignty. You can't completely grasp the vastness that is God. Does the clay say to him who forms it, what are you making? The Lord can mold and shape you however he wills. Will you rebel against him? Will you cooperate with the Holy Spirit who is doing work in you? God wants to make you into the vessel he's purposed to mold you to be. There's a reason for the marring and trials in life, so just trust in the Lord's ways. Now, here's Pastor David in the book of Romans, chapter 9, verse 20, with our continuing study entitled, Vessels of Mercy. You don't know my ways, you don't know my directions, you don't even know my plans. And that's a very humbling thing for every one of us. But that's where every one of us need to be. It's when you and I come to that point where we say, oh no, I've got it all figured out. I've got it all figured out. But suddenly God is no longer God in our lives. You see, the right question always now allows for the right answers. God began asking Job the right questions. Now Job was able to bring about the right answers in his life. He suddenly came to that point of understanding... Well, the right answer is, you know everything, and I don't know anything. You, Your ways are too wonderful for me, uh, things that I don't know. Job begins giving that right answer. It's the kind of right answer that even Isaiah understood. If you're in Job, travel to the east, over to Isaiah, on past the Psalms, into the book of Isaiah. In Isaiah chapter 64, and we're just going to look at a couple of verses there. Again, these, these right answers that are coming. You see, Israel had gone through the same thing. God was bringing judgment and correction to Israel, and Israel was crying out, Wow, what have we done? Why, 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 why are we suffering through so many things? And even Isaiah, the prophet, looked at the children of Israel, and he thought, Man, what is going on with them? Until finally he starts getting the right answer. And the right answer we see in Isaiah 64, verses 6 through 8, where Isaiah the prophet declares to the Lord the right answer. He says, we're all like an unclean thing, and all of our righteousness is as filthy rags. We all fade as a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, has taken us away. There's no one who calls on your name who stirs himself up to take hold of you. For you have hidden your face from us and have consumed us because of our iniquities. You see, Isaiah understood and knew that there was none righteous, no, not one. 
Isaiah understood and knew that there was none that sought after God, that it's all God's work, and God can't be brought to charge on anything because His ways are indisputable because He is the sovereign one. And that's how Isaiah was able to state in this last verse, uh, verse 8. He says, But now, O Lord, You are our Father, and we are the clay, and You our potter, and all we are the work of Your hand. What a great declaration that is for Isaiah. And it's a declaration that you and I need to make and understand in our own lives. Lord, you're the potter, and I'm the clay. Do with me what you desire. Form me and fashion me whatever way that you want to. You're the potter. I'm the clay. It's the same message that he gave to Jeremiah around about the same time that Isaiah is receiving this. Jeremiah received a word from the Lord. We find in Jeremiah from Isaiah. Go on to your right a little bit more. One more book, and you're going to have Jeremiah. In Jeremiah chapter 18, verse 1. The word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Arise and go down to the potter's house, and there I will cause you to hear my words. And I went down to the potter's house, and there he was, making something at the wheel. The vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hands of the potter. So he made it again into another vessel, as it seemed good to the potter to make. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, O house of Israel, can I not do with you as this potter, says the Lord? Look. As the clay is in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. What a declaration that is. What an understanding that you and I have to have in this whole view of the potter and the clay. If you've never seen a demonstration of someone making pottery, you, you, you miss this illustration totally. But if you've seen the illustration, I have a good friend, Pat Lazovich, who's pastor of Calvary Chapel, Sierra Vista. He's also a potter, and he's done demonstrations. We've had him here. We need to have him again maybe next fall. Again, just the visual that's there, it just so impacts our lives. You know what happens to the clay when it gets worked on by the potter? You and I would look at it and say, it gets abused. It gets beaten it gets smacked down, it gets worked and kneaded and worked over again, continually working. Why? In order to make it formable and fashionable by the potter. You see, a lump of clay in and of itself can't be worked with that way. It's got to be worked out, it's got to be softened, it's got to be kneaded. One of the first things that the potter does is take that clay and slam it down on the potter's wheel. Why? Because he doesn't want him to move. He doesn't want him to shift off to the side. He doesn't want him to be loose on there to where in the midst of working he goes flying off the the room to the other side. He's got to be steadfast. He's got to be well attached to that wheel. And he continues working and and molding and softening up that clay as he works. And sometimes the potter will even take and hammer the clay if there's air bubbles in it. Because you've got to get all that out for it to be worked. 
until he starts finally forming it and fashioning it. There's another thing that goes on with the work of the potter there on the wheel. There's always water, always water, an abundance of water. And the potter is continually dipping his hand in the water and putting water all over the clay, continually forming it. And you look at that water and you think, man, that's kind of like the Holy Spirit in our lives. And as the Lord is forming us and fashioning us, the Holy Spirit just immersing our lives in order for us to be formed, in order for us to be malleable, in order for us to be fashionable by the Lord. The Holy Spirit the work of the potter, the correcting, the bringing. And even as Jeremiah saw, potter is forming this pot and all of a sudden something goes wrong with it. The potter doesn't take that form, then set it off to the side and get a new one. No. You know what he does? He does the same thing that's happened in your lives, possibly. He slams it back down again and begins to rework it and rework it and rework it again. Oh, but I was almost finished. No, you weren't. You, you, you were marred and you would never be all that I intended you to be. And so I've got to bring you back down, reform and refashion, remold you again. It's not a pleasant thing being clay. The process is not enjoyable. But what a foolish thing it would be for the clay as it comes up and he's just beginning to form it, just has an opening for the clay to say, okay, that's enough. That's enough. That's all. I don't want any more. Stop. And yet in our hearts, there's many times that you and I, even as believers, we're, we're kind of saying that same thing. Lord, no more. No more. No more. No more. I can't take it anymore. And the Lord says, yes, you can. And you need to. You need to. Because unless I finish with you, you'll never be the vessel that I purposed and designed you to be. You see, Paul had an understanding of that. If you go back into Romans, we, saw, we see Paul referring to this very thing. In Romans verse, chapter 9, verse 21, Paul continues on. He says, Does not the potter have power over the clay from the same lump to make one vessel of honor and the other of dishonor? Well, the same lump of clay is all of fallen humanity. All of fallen humanity, including you and I. We're out of that same lump of clay and outside of Jesus Christ, outside a knowledge of Christ in our lives, we end up being that vessel of dishonor. There, there's, there, there's nothing in our lives that could ever please God. There's no situation we could do in our lives that could ever please God. And it's only when... The potter begins working in our lives to make us that vessel of honor that our lives become something that's going to be pleasing to him. Paul goes on there in verse 22 where he says, What if God, wanting to show his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath prepared for destruction? Endured with much long suffering. In order to make his power known, he's doing this. What are these vessels of wrath? Well, again, outside of Christ, every one of us were destined for the wrath of God. Every one of us would have endured and had to endure for all of eternity the wrath of God. It's only by his grace, it's only by his mercy that, again, he works in us 
to change about. In verse 23, he says that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy which he had prepared beforehand for glory. Beloved, he forms us and fashions us to become vessels of mercy. Vessels of mercy. You don't deserve it. None of us do. And yet it's because of out of his choosing that he's caused us to come to him. It's out of his choosing that he takes this lump of clay and begins forming and fashioning our lives into vessels of mercy. Verse 24, he continues on, he says, Even us whom he called, and not of the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles. You see, his mercy is wide open. It's not just simply from the Jews, but it's also from the Gentiles. That's how wide his mercy is. He didn't have just a plan for one people. No, the plan that he had for those one people was to be a light for all nations, so that people from all nations might come to him. His mercy is so Open, and he continues to declare that. We look on there and he says in verse 25, as he says also in Hosea, I will call them my people who were not my people and her beloved who is not beloved. And it shall come to pass in the place where it was said to them, you're not my people. There they shall be called sons of the living God. Again, do you understand what he's saying? That we who we, we weren't Jews. For the most part, I look around the room today, and unless you have Jewish heritage in you, you are a Gentile. And for the most part, he looked and said, yes, I called the people of Israel to me. But then I also called the Gentiles to me also. That those people who weren't a people would be able to come. We had no rights. We did not have all the promises. We didn't have the fathers. We didn't have the glory. We didn't have the covenants. We didn't have all of those things that we spoke about the other week. But yet God called us to Himself because His mercy is so open and so wide and so awesome. You have to understand the book of Hosea to understand the greatness of God's mercy. The book of Hosea, the prophet Hosea was called to go and get yourself a wife, but not just any wife. I want you to get yourself a wife who is given to harlotry, a woman who is a, a prostitute by nature. And whether she was already a prostitute or she just had that nature of a prostitute, we don't know. But we do know this, that while she was married to Hosea, she left him three different times. You know, California and many states have that three strikes and you're out deal. But praise God, God doesn't have that, does he? And some of you, you know that you are praising God that he doesn't have a three strikes and you're out attitude. Amen? He said, go and get her back, Hosea. So Hosea went and got his wife who left him for a life of prostitution and brought her back home. That's the mercy of God. Then she did it again. God said, go get her back, Hosea. So Hosea went and got her back again and brought her back. Beloved, that's the mercy of God. But then she did it again, and God says, Go and buy her off the auction block, Hosea. Hosea went and got her that third time and brought her back. Beloved, that's the mercy of God. And you can 
shake your fist at the election idea and the idea of predestination and God's foreknowledge and God's choosing all you want, but you don't have a clue of what the mercy of God is all about if you shake your fist at that. Because who are you to question God when he demonstrates his mercy over and 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 over again? His mercy is so open, so wide and so vast. Isaiah understood it. In verse 27 he says, Isaiah also cries out concerning Israel. Though the number of the children of Israel be as the sand of the sea. And let's stop right there. Number one, that's a prophetic fulfillment. Do you realize Isaiah writing now years after Abraham? The promise was given to Abraham that Abraham, I'm calling you out of Ur of the Chaldees, not because of anything, I'm just calling you Abraham. And oh, by the way, Abraham, I'm going to make this covenant with you and I'm making it to you myself. And Abraham, I'm going to make your descendants as many as the number of the sands of the sea. Abraham, I'm going to do that for you. God promised him. God fulfilled that in Abraham's life. And Isaiah sees this now years later and looks back, gosh, God fulfilled what he promised. But then he goes to say, and the remnant will be saved. What do you mean a remnant? That out of that wide, huge, vast number of descendants from the loins of Abraham, there was only a few that came through with the faith of Abraham, and those are the ones who are saved. Beloved, there is a narrow gate. And you and I need to understand that the gate is narrow. Jesus himself said that wide is the road and wide is the gate that leads to destruction. But narrow is the way and narrow is the gate that leads to eternal life. There's only a remnant of those that are going to be saved. And those that are the ones that come by faith to believe and to receive Christ as Messiah. Just like for the Gentiles, the, the, the call may be wide and vast. The call is to the whosoevers, but the fact is, is only a remnant will be saved. He goes on to say, verse 28, for he will finish the work and cut it short in righteousness. And that whole idea of cutting it short in righteousness is that there's no argument. You, you can't argue with God and say, oh, if I only had one more day, I would have shared my faith with my brother. If, 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 if I would have had only one more day, I would have shared my faith with my co-worker or my neighbor. Lord, if you would have given me just one chance, but no, God, you called it short. And you're not going to be able to shake your fist and argue with God at that. Because God has given each one of us sufficient time to share the reality of our faith in Christ to everyone that we've been in contact with. And if you're waiting for tomorrow, beloved, you have no guarantee of tomorrow. And neither does your lost loved one, your lost friend, your lost co-worker, your lost neighbor. There's no guarantees of tomorrow. And none of us are going to be able to shake our fist at God and say, God, you blew it on that one. God, it's your fault. God is going to call it short in righteousness. There's not going to be any argument. Because the Lord will make a determined or a short work upon the earth. There's a determined time, beloved, whether you recognize that or realize that we are in the last days. And you can make the argument that we read in Peter that, oh man, they've been saying that forever. Ah, it's going to be the last days. But, beloved, you just don't understand or your eyes aren't open. If it was the last days at the time of the disciples, 
It's even more the last days now. And all you've got to do is look at the world around us right now and see how we are literally waxing worse and worse and growing further and further away from the direction and the cause and the call of Christ. Even in this nation, it was supposed to be one nation under God. We're not. We still have the blessings of God. But I see this nation and we're turning from God by the drove. It's going to be a time. Verse 29, he says, and Isaiah said before, Unless the Lord of Sabaoth, the Lord of hosts, had left us a seed, we would have become like Sodom and we would have been made like Gomorrah. All of that, and yet the knowledge that His grace is abundant and free. It's because God made available, even for that small group, to know Him. Otherwise, like He says, we we would have been totally wiped out. What happened to Sodom and Gomorrah? Everybody died. Everybody died. He wiped them out. And in the same way, The very message of Christ, though it's abundant and though it's free, man looks at it and says, no, I just can't, I just can't handle that. I don't want to go that way. I won't bow my knees to a sovereign. I'm my own man. I'm my own direction. I'm charting my own course. And man charts his course for an eternity of hell outside of the cause of Christ. He goes on, verse 30. What shall we say then? Again, Paul brings this, he lays it out. So what are we going to say about all these things? That the Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained to righteousness, even the righteousness of faith. But Israel, pursuing the law of righteousness, has not attained to the law of righteousness. Why? Because they did not seek it by faith, but as it were, by the works of the law. For they stumbled at that stumbling stone. He says the Gentiles, in essence, came. They, they didn't know anything about the ordinances. They didn't know anything about the traditions. They didn't know anything about the sacrifices. They didn't know anything about all the rituals that Israel had. They just came by faith, and they found righteousness through faith. Israel thought that if I could just do it on the outside, if I could just you know, look, make myself look good on the outside, if I had just the right kind of clothes, if I spoke the right words, if I attended the right number of services, if I did the right stuff on the outside, then surely God would be pleased with me. If I just turn over a new leaf, then God would be pleased. But beloved, let me tell you this morning, turning over a new leaf, making a new determination in your life, charting a new course for yourself, trying to do some kind of a ritual, being faithful at church, being faithful in giving, helping old ladies cross the street, none of that is going to do it. None of it. Because that's by works of the law. It's by faith you've been saved. Not of works, lest any man should boast. When he says they they stumbled at that stumbling stone, and then he quotes again, he he declares, Behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone and a rock of offense, and whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. What stone was that? Well, that's the stone that became our very rock of salvation. That rock of offense is for you and for me a rock of salvation. Jesus himself spoke about the cornerstone that the builders rejected. And it became a stumbling stone for all of Israel. And Jesus spoke to them. He says, you know, this stone that the builders rejected, whoever falls on that stone will be broken. 
And that's what you and I have to do. We have to fall upon that stone. We have to be broken in our lives in the rebellion of our own hearts and our own egos. We have to fall upon that stone and declare and cry out for His mercy. That we might be broken before Him in order that He might reform us and refashion us. But then He also says, Whomever that stone falls upon, it will grind him as powder. Grace, the mercy of God is demonstrated over and over in the midst of His sovereignty. His grace and His mercy are working hand in hand so that whoever believes on Him will not be put to shame. Whoever believes on Him will not be put to shame. Unfortunately, that's all the time we have for today. You've been listening to The Open Word, the teaching ministry of Pastor David Landry of Calvary Chapel Casa Grande in Casa Grande, Arizona. To learn more about The Open Word, visit our website at theopenword.com. You can download today's teaching or subscribe to The Open Word Podcast. Subscribing to The Open Word Podcast is the best way to stay up to date with all the latest messages from Pastor David. To subscribe, log on to theopenword.com, click on the podcast option on the homepage, or simply search for The Open Word in the iTunes Store. You can also give us a call if you'd like. That number to call is 520-836-9676. That's 520-836-9676. Another option to get in touch with us is to send us an email. Our email address is info at theopenword.com. That's info at theopenword.com. When you contact us, please let us know the call letters of the station you heard The Open Word on and how today's broadcast has blessed you. Your feedback helps us know the Lord's direction for this ministry. Once again, you've been listening to The Open Word with Pastor David Landry of Calvary Chapel in Casa Grande, Arizona. In the next edition of The Open Word, David will continue teaching through the Word of God. So please make plans to join us again and may God richly bless you.